Who did that? Don't look up there. I'm talking to y'all. Did you? Look at it. Look at it. You do that? Huh? Who was it? Were you a naughty boy? Were you naughty? <laughs> Who ate that one? Did you eat that one? Did, is that you? Who ate the controller? Did you do that? Abby? Did you do this? Abby? Oh my gosh, isn't that great? I love those videos. I am obsessed with those videos. I'd love to say that I spend all my time on spiritual and intellectual endeavors, but most nights you can find me and my nine-year-old sitting on the couch obsessing over Instagram dog videos, cat videos, baby goat videos. Have any of you seen the baby goat videos? You know, with the little sweaters and they're hopping around, right? I mean, I'm obsessed with it. Who doesn't love it, right? And the other ones I'm way obsessed with is the cats and the pickles. <laughs> Google that and if you can't, just ask me afterwards and we'll talk about it, right? But my most favorite, Kathleen and I, we love these guilty dog videos. Who doesn't? I mean, the little twin dogs, right, at the very beginning, they turn exactly as their, as their owner says, you know, who did it, right? And then, of course, the one who has been chewing the edge of the door. I mean, that could have been my dog, by the way. And he's hiding it. And then, of course, the one with the lip. I mean, that to me was, I was like, how'd you get that dog's lip to come up every single time? But probably my favorite one were the two dog friends. That's what I like to call them. The two dog friends sitting on the couch and the owner's like, who did it? And what did the one dog do? This one, right? Right? They're, they're amazing. The guilty dog videos. The interesting thing is, is that I think probably the reason why I like these so much is that I see myself in these videos. I really do. How many of us do things that we recognize are wrong? I know I do. Things that hurt others. Things that damage lives. Things that alienate us from those we love, but even more so. How about the things that hurt God? Our Father, our Creator, the stuff that breaks His heart. I would like to believe that when I've done one of those things, I would immediately call out to God, right? That's what, that I, I want to choose to believe that, that I would immediately call out to God for forgiveness, but more times than not, if I'm really, really honest, I push it away, pretending it didn't happen, pretending that God didn't know or maybe placing blame on others, pointing my finger somewhere else or at someone else. Or maybe I feel so ashamed of my sin that I beat myself up and think that God could never forgive me. That I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. 
This past week, you spent some time in chapter 51 of the book of Psalms, and it's here today that we're going to spend some time. And so I'd like, if you've got a Bible, or if you've got your device or anything, I actually have my Bible typically on my phone. I'd love for you to turn to uh, the book of Psalms in chapter 51 for me. And while you're doing that, it's in this chapter where we see a beautiful example of repentance. It's an example, I believe, that can and should be used in our lives. As we move through this passage, I'll highlight four things. Four things that show us what repentance actually really looks like. We'll see where David turns to God. He confesses the seriousness of his sin. He asks for cleansing and finally he expects renewal. So while you were studying this past week, chapter 51, I was studying the last few weeks, chapter 51. And as I began to reflect on the psalmist's words and to really take them in and really process them, my initial response to David and his repentance was, David, do I really believe you? Do I believe what you're saying, David? I struggled with David's words. I really did. See, David, we all know, is a man after God's own heart, right? He's the man who knew God and loved God, but he was a man who lost sight of that and found himself in a grave and desperate place. His repentance, this asking for forgiveness, came after he was confronted by Nathan, a prophet of God. And if you spent much time around the Bible, you probably know why Nathan was confronting David. David committed a laundry list of offenses against God, and it began when he saw a woman, and her name was Bathsheba. We've all heard the name Bathsheba before, right? And it was in that moment that he lusted after her. He wanted her. There was Bathsheba on her rooftop bathing. You know, we kind of scratch our heads wondering why in the world is Bathsheba on the top of her rooftop? You know, this rooftop would have been in Jerusalem. And what we know is that She was there to be cleansing. She was going through a ritual bath because she's just spent days bleeding from her menstrual cycle. And in the tradition, she would have had to be kept away. She would have had to be kept away from her community. But then also there was a ritual bath cleansing of natural waters that she would have had to to partake in. And since she was in Jerusalem, where would the natural waters maybe be? They might have been collecting on the rooftop of her home. And it was there that after days of bleeding that she was there bathing and cleansing herself in this ritual bath. And it was there that David saw her. It was at that moment he used his power, his authority to take her. He sent for her. She had no choice. Bathsheba could not say no. To the king. 
No was not a possibility. She was married and her husband was away at war. David's choices and his sin led to death. Bathsheba's husband's death and ultimately the death of a child who was conceived. In the wake of all that David did, he not only harmed others in unspeakable ways, but ultimately his harm left him a distraught and broken down man. David's sins included hatred and murder, coveting, stealing, malice, lying, and putting his own desires before his love and fear of God. So I have to tell you as I stopped and I began to process this, what do I think about this? What do I think about what David has done? But most importantly, God, what do you think about what David has done? I struggled with this. Let's look at verse 1 in chapter 51. It begins with saying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Unfailing love. I stopped here. Again, I ask myself, when I read scriptures, I'm constantly in my head asking myself questions. I'm constantly wondering, what do I think about this? How do I respond to this? How does God respond to this? And at that point, I stopped again. And what do I think? God, what do you think? And at that moment, unfailing love jumped out at me. I knew what David knew. See, there are two parties here that are involved. There's one that's in desperate need and then a second one who possesses the power and the resources to make a difference. There's one that's feeling crazy desperate and one who can only respond to that desperation. Have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your unfailing love. Unfailing love in the Hebrew is known as Hesed. I love how the author of the Gospel of Ruth, in which, by the way, I would use this as a promotion for her book. If you've not read the Gospel of Ruth, Ruth, uh, written by Carolyn Custis James, go out and buy it today. It's an amazing book. And in that book, she describes it like this. It's a love. Hesed is a love that is driven not by duty or legal obligation, but by a bone-deep commitment, a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to do voluntarily what no one has a right to expect or ask of them. They have the freedom to act or to walk away without the slightest injury to their reputation, yet they willingly pour out themselves, themselves out for the good of someone else. It's actually the kind of love we find most fully expressed in Jesus. This is where we see David move into that first expression of repentance. He turns to God. Let's look at verse one again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David has been confronted by the prophet Nathan and his sin is not news to him. David knows what he has done. David knows clearly what he has done. He sees the gravity of what he's done. He knows that God in his mercy has sent him someone to remind him of this 
of his love and to bring attention to his actions, his only response, David's only response could be to take this to the one who saw him and loved him and sought him out. Through Nathan, God is pursuing David. David suffered consequences, right? But God continued to pursue him and David knew that. David knows it is only God who sees him and in that knowledge, God is the only one who can abolish, cancel, and wipe away all that he has done. He comes to the only one who couldn't make this right. The question for us is not, if we will find ourselves in situations, it's actually, God, you know, when we find ourselves in these situations, what we will do, what will we do? We too, like David, will find ourselves in these kinds of situations. Maybe the sin is not the kind of sin that David has committed. Maybe it's not so egregious, but we all are capable. We all sin day in and day out. And the question is, how will we handle it? How will we, will we turn to God? Will we respond the way that David has done this? So the first step to repentance is turning to God. The next step to repentance is confession. Confessing the seriousness of our sin. Let's look at verses two through four. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right to your verdict and justified when you judge me. What does David mention in that first sentence? He speaks of his iniquity and his sin. In the Hebrew, iniquity is seen as crookedness and perverseness, evil that goes astray. It's evil that goes astray. When we hear those words, we think of the worst of the worst, right? Look at David and all that he's done. But we, I think that sometimes we fail to see that that same crookedness, that same perverseness, that evil that has gone astray is actually resides inside of us too sometimes. And we do some of those same kinds of things. The sin that we sometimes gloss over or overlook is an affront to our God. Look back at the next verse. He says, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knew who he was talking to. He also knew the gravity of his sin and knew who he had to confess this sin to. to, His God, our God. He was talking to the God who doesn't break his promises. When you look back at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, when Nathan is rebuking him, The entire time, Nathan references God's name, his covenantal name. He says Yahweh again and again and again. And whenever we see Yahweh in scriptures, we know that that's referencing the fact that God has promised us to never leave us. He will not leave his people. He will not forsake him. And in this particular instance, he's saying that. Nathan is saying that. He's saying Yahweh, Yahweh. And in my mind, as I was looking at that and I was reflecting on that, all I can think of was that David was saying, that's the God who won't leave me. That's the God who will not forsake me. 
God was safe. God was safe then for David and God is safe now to each one of us. David had a soul that could be touched with truth. He was unafraid to admit his sins, his transgressions. He broke his own heart by his failures. The things that we do in our lives that are contrary to the way of our God, the sins that we commit, we don't have to hide. We don't have to hide those things away, pretending that they don't exist, but in fact, we can confess those things to our God, knowing that he can be trusted. We don't have to be afraid. He will forgive. Repentance is first turning to God, next confessing our sin, and now asking God to cleanse us. Let's look back again at verse two. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then down in verse seven, he says again, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We see in both of these verses, his desperate need to be cleansed. You know, in the ancient world, um, hyssop was used for medicinal purposes. And in the scriptures, it was symbolic. And in fact, in Leviticus, the priest would typically tell, um, after tell uh, um, the priest, basically would, God would tell the priest to actually create a hyssop concoction, if you will, after someone has been cured of a disease or they've recovered from a disease like leprosy. And they would take that hyssop concoction and basically um, put it on that person. And the reason why they would do that was that it would then, it was symbolic to then allow them to come back into the camp or allow them to come back into community. And then we have in, um, in the book of S Exodus, God telling his people to use hyssop again. It's like, like a paintbrush to mark the doorposts with the lamb's blood in order for the angel of death to pass over them, marking his people as pure and not targets of judgment that God was about to give to Egypt. What I love here is that David recognizes that he cannot clean himself. He cannot cleanse himself. In fact, he's petitioning God with the kind of language or understanding that God himself used. David knew the, the history of the Israelites. He knew the history of his people. And he knew how God used this in the life of his people. And he knows that it is only God that can make him clean, to purify him. He's requesting, he's asking God to do something. I don't know if any of you have seen like young people with um, computers with stickers all over them. Stickers are running amok in my house right now. If you look at my nine-year-old's door, and I know um, my mother-in-law lives with us, and I know it just 
kills her when she sees this door because it is loaded with stickers. And I'm thinking, I sure hope those come off. And, and then you've got stickers. My kids put them on their water bottles. They've got them on their laptops. Stickers are running amok in my house. And the other day, I think it was like two weeks ago, I was doing the laundry and I opened, I opened up the dryer and I was pulling stuff out and I pulled out the one school regulated sweatshirt that my kid I won't say which one has and I pull it out and there is a giant place where a sticker had been on my kid's shirt I was so mad I was like you could have taken the sticker off your shirt I let you put them everywhere else I scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed I got the goo gone out I got my Tide pen out I was taking my fingernails I was scraping it out we know that sticker residue is not coming out, and it did not. I just finally gave up, and I threw it away. I was like, whatever. Um, it was not going anywhere. I worked hard, and I could not clean that nasty sticker. Not at all. There's nothing that David in this story that he can do to clean himself is there. God must do all the cleaning. And with God's work, we, just like David, can become whiter than snow. It's all God. It's all God. Repentance is first turning to God, confessing our sins, asking God to cleanse us, and then finally expecting renewal. Expecting renewal. Let's look, look back at the passage. Uh, first in verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And then down to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then into 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I love what it says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I love how the message puts that verse. He says, in, in verse 13 in the message, it says, Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so that the lost can find their way home. Don't you think David knew a little bit about what it meant to be a rebel and to have lost his way? And look there, he's asking God. He's like, listen, God, if you will make this right, if you, I am expecting these things will happen and God, I will teach those just like me. I will show them who you are and what you are capable of. I will show them the God who doesn't leave, the God who is safe, the God who can be trusted. David was asking God to put into him what he had lost. Put back into him joy. Put back into him gladness. Put back into him a pure heart. Put back into him a steadfast spirit. Put back into him a willing spirit. He knew that God's 
that it was God that was empowering the Spirit's work, that the Spirit was doing this. He knew that God would make his life new. And with this forgiveness, he could and would share it with all of those, even like himself. David is expecting a renewed life. And you and I can expect a renewed life through our repentance. Through repentance, expect a renewed life. Repentance is turning to God, confession of our sins, asking God to cleanse us, and expecting renewal. Now, I told you earlier how much I struggled with this passage. I really struggled with David. And I hope that you all struggle with people in Scripture sometimes too, because sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? I struggled to the point where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to teach this. Or in fact, even if I wanted to teach it. Because David, he didn't deserve grace. He doesn't deserve this kind of forgiveness. But I realized that none of us deserve grace. It's David's sin... The interesting thing is if David's sin had been a minor one, just a little sin, if you will, the story wouldn't have lasted through the centuries. But it's lasted because it shows how scandalous the grace of God actually is. God's grace is scandalous. And it should rock us to our core. It should make us struggle. I got a lesson in scandalous grace a few weeks back from one of the girls at my refuge house. And as some of you know, I work for, and as um, Tiffany mentioned earlier, an organization called My Refuge House. And we are an aftercare home that provides um, care and holistic care, basically, for girls who've been rescued from sexual exploitation, sex trafficking, and abuse. We receive girls now from ages as young as 10, 11 years old, all the way up through, we have 21-year-olds, but primarily our girls now are, are little girls. And one of the girls that we received, um, I guess it's been out about, about a year now, her name is Chani. Um, Chani came to us because Chani had been sold online. She was what we call cyber, a cyber sex case. Um, one of the things that we have experienced through our work is that um, human trafficking has changed in a lot of ways. For us, it's now become cyber sex where people are sold, young girls are sold online for someone else to watch at the other end of a computer, whether here in America or somewhere in Europe or somewhere in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Korea, anywhere, you name it, they can watch and they, they give money. They pay for it. And Chani um, came to us because she was a girl who had been sold online. She hadn't been sold by somebody that she didn't know. 
She was sold by her mother. See, Chani's mother abused her. Chani's mother sexually abused her. And people paid for it. Violated her in this way for several years. She didn't know that this was what, what was happening. It's her mom, right? It's her mom. My mom loves me. And if I say anything, I, I don't want to upset things. I don't want to create a problem. And one day, Cheney was at school and, and she heard about human trafficking. And she heard about cyber sex. And she stopped and thought, that's me. It's what's happening to me. Well, Chani was rescued and she was brought to us. And she's been with us, uh, like I said, for over the last year or so. And she's doing remarkably well. She is just flourishing. And it's a lot of hard work, guys. Recovery is very difficult. It's a lot of effort that has to be put um, into it. And, and she is, not, oh, and that was the first thing when she, I love this picture because one of the first things that she just loves so much were our puppies um, on campus. And that, those are very special to her, but she has been flourishing and doing so beautifully. And all the while we have been walking alongside her, she's with us 24 seven. But at the same time, one of the things that is very important for us is that we walk alongside the families. And as her mother had been um, arrested and, um, and then had to go to court, Chani had to testify against her. Can you imagine testifying against your own mother? And it came time for sentencing, and I guess this was about three weeks ago. Chani had to go because there was a possibility that she might have to testify. And we prayed, oh, please, God, don't let her have to testify against her mother again because it's just rewounding. It's just so hard. And we thought, no, she can't handle it. Well, seriously, praise Jesus, she did not have to testify. But when she walked in the room, one of the things that she asked our social worker was, she said, can I talk to my mommy? Can I go talk to my mommy? And we said, are you, is it okay? can you handle it? Are you sure? And she said, yes, I, I, I want to talk to my mom. I want to talk to my mom. Is it in our social work? Is, can I go with you? Can I go with you? Yes, yes, you can come with me. And before her mother could say a word, before any sentencing happened, Chaney said to her mother, I want you to know I forgive you. You carried me in your womb for nine months. You are still my mother. I still love you and I forgive you. Her mother was then sentenced to 20 years. Scandalous, isn't it? It's really scandalous. I struggled, to be honest with you, when I first saw that because I knew what had been done to Chani. But all I could think of is the kind of grace 
that God has afforded me, that God afforded David, and that God extends to you. He's given each one of us a grace that is unexplainable. And that you can trust him. And that you can know that he is safe. And that through your repentance, you can expect renewal. Now I want to say here, and I will give this disclaimer, that abusive situations aren't one that you just willy-nilly, I forgive you and keep moving and move right back into the situation. That's not what happens here. Her mom has gone off to prison for 20 years, and it will be a hard life in the Filipino prison. And she probably won't see her mom again. She'll continue to, to live with us, and she'll continue to grow as a young girl. So I want to say that as any of you that are experiencing any sort of violation in your own lives, that it's not one that just is, hey, one and done, it's all good. There's a process. And, and if you have experienced any violation in your own life, and if you are experiencing that now, I would ask you to speak to myself or any women that are in women's ministry I would say reach out to someone because someone can walk with you in that journey. None of us deserve grace. So in light of that scandalous grace of God, I want you to remember that you can turn to him. You can confess the seriousness of your sin no matter what. We can ask for him to cleanse us and we can expect renewal in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. And we thank you that you can be trusted, God. That you can be trusted with all the mess in our lives. God, I thank you so much for this picture of scandalous grace through the story of David and through the story of a little girl. God, because that is the way that you love us. That is the way you see us, God. You lavish grace upon us, Father. And we thank you for that. I thank you for these women here today, Lord. God, I pray that, that they would see that you can be trusted that they would see that they can ask you for forgiveness, God. And it is in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.